0: hello everyone and welcome to the be better podcast i'm your host dr perkins today's episode is called be better with the social television network the mission behind the be better podcast is for people to think about life a little deeper all right we have the managing director eric Sperling here from the Social Television Network. How's your Saturday going, sir?
1: It's going good so far. Good to see you again, Anthony. How are you?
0: Doing great. Good to see you again. I appreciate our first uh, conversation and meeting. Yeah. And I wanted to have you on as a guest because people need to know about the Social Television Network and what it offers. So thank you so much for doing this and the knowledge you're about to share. So no problem. So we'll start with the million dollar first question. Please tell us a little bit about yourself especially that um, kind of life-changing accident at age 18.
1: Uh, Sure. So, yeah, you mentioned age 18. 18 was kind of an interesting year for me. Um, I was a football player in high school in California, San Jose, California. And I'm not um, sensationalizing this, that I had eight concussions playing uh, football. And my last concussion – was one that I really didn't recover from, and, and neurologists call it uh, post-concussion syndrome. And what that basically means is you have the symptoms of a concussion that that linger on um, weeks, months, even years after that. And so towards the end of my senior year, um, I was really struggling. I you know, was a 4.0 student. I was a dedicated student, a uh, student-athlete, and within you know, six months, I was a completely different person. Um, because what happens is, is those concussion symptoms, whether it's like dizziness or loss of memory, um, ultimately it affects your brain chemistry too. So I really struggled with, um, depression shortly after and had this moment, you know, where I kind of called it, I, uh, (laughs) I just physically couldn't do it anymore and did the old, Uh, You know, left a note for the parents and where I'm in California. So I drive up the coast and this is right by Santa Cruz. And I find a cliff there and walk to the edge of the cliff and, you know, had that moment, looked down, saw the water splashing on the rocks. And, you know, and the, the, the hard thing was, is I was in that moment and there was really nothing like wrong with my life. My family was great. Uh, My friends were great. Um, it was just physically what I was dealing with. I, I just couldn't see myself, um, living like that anymore where I, I mean, I couldn't even hold a job. I couldn't, I couldn't count change, which was crazy to me. I was at a local gym. You know, I was trying to get a job at a gym and I was working the front desk and I just, it was too overwhelming for me. And so I had to just be, I was the, you know, the guy who cleaned the equipment. Um, uh, it gets such a, such a drastic change from where I was like six, seven months prior, Um, so I'm standing there and I'm just, you know, I'm on that cliff and I'm looking down and, and the one, the, the the thing that kind of stopped me was I looked, I looked to my right and there was a family on a beach down below and there was a little girl there and all I could really think of was, I don't want that little girl to see what's about to happen. So I just kind of collapsed on that cliff, sat there for hours, um, and then decided I had that moment with myself and I'm 18 and 18 is a, a tough year for a lot of people because you're in transition. Um, but I just decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep living, but I'm not going to try. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to enjoy this life of alcohol, drugs, partying, and it's easy to find parties when you're 18 years old. And that was every night for me. That's what that was um, really masking what was going on mentally, um, the struggles with post concussion syndrome, and so it was March of '98 when uh, I met this girl, Lindsay. She's great. Um, we dated, and she she said, "Hey, let's you know, we want to go to the mall one night." And so we hop in the car, and she had one of those. I think it was an '85 Cabriolet convertibles, You know, the ones all the girls wanted from the '80s uh, <laughs> in the movies, um, but not the safest vehicle. You know, there are no no airbags no airbags in that car. Um, really, really wasn't something that you wanted to get in an accident Win, but anyway, we're on the freeway and, and we were playing on the radio, we were doing something. Um, we were kind of messing around with the steering wheel and she lost control of the car and we're going 65 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that before where when you lose control and then you go to overcorrect and, you know, she just overcorrected too much. And we went, head on into a sound wall at 65 miles an hour. Um again no airbags, no nothing and next thing you know, I'm I'm waking up. The car is on fire. Um and there is flames in front of me and there's a good Samaritan who is trying to get me out of the car and he pulls me out of the car, drags me, you know, out of the car and few seconds later it explodes uh, i mean this was this was like the things you see in the movies where the explosion rocked us and he had already grabbed lindsay and got her out previously and dragged her to safety um but being there in that moment just a few seconds away from death and there was you know i broke my back busted my face up multiple other you know injuries that weren't as serious um but it was incredible to you know and I you know I want to mention his name Paul Robinson I still I still keep in contact with him we touch base kind of once a year on the anniversary um but the miracle of that night really was you know we were unconscious in that car the car was on fire and Paulie stopped and he he still tells the story you know there are people gathered around the vehicle and they don't want to rush in to help because the flames were already into, um, on the dashboard and where we were. And people were kind of shouting, don't go near it. It's going to explode. And, you know, Polly rushed to Lindsay first, pulled her out. And then there are news articles on this. There's a lot of coverage that's still on. We put a lot of it on, on the YouTube on YouTube, on and he moved the car to get me out. I mean, he, he had to wedge himself. He's a big dude between the sound wall and the car while it was on fire because he couldn't open the door and he moved it, you know, just, I think he said like 10 to 12 inches, just pushing himself against the car in order to open the door just a smidge to get me out. Um, so again, just an incredible event, evening trauma, uh, story, whatever you want to call it, um, that took place uh, that night, March 10th, 1998, um, that really, it, and, and I, I always say this too, like it wasn't like I woke up in the hospital the next morning, uh, like Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> you know, like, whoo, I've, I've got a new outlook on life, let's go. It wasn't like that. It was months later, um, and anybody who's broken their back knows recovery is not fun because you can't do anything. You're laying in bed for months at a time. And so I'm laying there in bed and it just, that's where the wave just kind of hit me. The, the full gravity of what had happened, you know, everything that kind of was going on in my life leading up to that moment and what happened that night. And then that, that true feeling of, wow, you're, you've got a second chance and you're here for a reason. And other people that have gone through and I've talked with, you know, near death experiences or really traumatic events like that have had similar Um, transitions in life where, you know, it's not about you anymore. Like you've been given a second chance and what are you going to do with it? Um, And so that foundationally kind of shifted me to say, okay, I'm going to (laughs) forget that person who I was leading up to the accident. I mean, not totally, but just in that moment of the tough things that were going on and I'm going to um, live out life now as this grateful person who needs to serve um and really needs to to live up to the the miracle of that night and say okay what am i going to do to give back and i'm you know truly saying not living life for myself but living life to serve and and find a way to to do that consistently
0: and you call it which i love and appreciate post-traumatic growth
1: Right. Um, you know, there's post-traumatic stress, obviously, where the events of something are continually playing in your head um, and can take you back to that moment. And And I could. It could be, you know, a stressful thing and almost dying. And it plays constantly. It's it's always going in my head. It's always there. And where the growth part comes in, it's, it's I always think about, boy, if there's something tough going on in the present moment or I'm struggling with something or Um, you know, I'm frustrated about something or worried. That moment is playing in my head and thinking, "Okay, it could be worse." Um, you could not be here, so it it immediately centers me. It immediately grounds me to be able to focus and take on stressful things or see things in perspective. Where, okay, flashback 25 years ago, and whatever I'm stressing about right now, or whatever thing I'm struggling with. Is actually a blessing, and I know that's that's hard for a lot of people to to conceptualize that when you're going through tough times or you're going through a stressful scenario, um, how to see it as a blessing. But I do, um, I really, really do. I think there it, it could be a lot worse, and I'm grateful for some of the trials that have happened afterwards.
0: In your story, is a great example of storms are just temporary. Correct. Yep. Very good. Some last
1: longer than others. You know, some some are brief, but some storms are years. Um, But know that there are paths to overcoming that. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. Storms are going to come. But, you know, you have the ability to 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 weather it and climb out of it.
0: What is the mission of the social television network and the opportunities it offers?
1: Yeah, so STN. Our mission is to create a better local media experience, and you know it does kind of tie back into what we were all you know just talking about. My background, I, you know, I went into college for broadcast journalism, ended up being a news producer for a lot of years, um, different markets across the country. Uh, then I ended up as a sports anchor here in in Phoenix, and what I learned um, being in that business, being in that industry. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this before. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Philosophy was really strong. And
0: yes, 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 Yeah, um, Let's let's just dive into that because you're about to that really bothers me. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> if
1: it bleeds, it leads was sort of the in our DNA. And it's one of the things I was taught really early in the business. And that was my job. I was the one I was the news producer. I dictated what would go on the air every night. It was crazy. I was a young guy, you know, I forgot, I was like 21, 22 years old. And I was the last stop, you know, okay, hey, we need to cover this or what should we be covering? And you always wanted to, you did not know, want to, but the way you built your newscast was kind of around what were the most traumatic things going on in your community um, at the time. And so it really was if it bleeds, it leads. If we had like a community growth story or something interesting and, we had it as our lead story and all of a sudden there was a shooting or a fire or a police situation that immediately took uh, priority and we would send all our resources to that. So if it bleeds, it leads was the philosophy of, you know, local media, local news. And it's not that way for, for every station, but if you turn on the local news, you'll see it's still pretty present. Um, but STN, our, our you know, our goal is to kind of flip the script on that and put all of our efforts and resources into telling the stories of local leadership community growth um the solutions in our community and we do a really good job of bringing all of those people to the table and we have the resources the same resources we had with local news you've been down to our studio we have a tremendous uh news studio broadcast team um, storytellers digital content so we have all the resources we had in local news but really changing the mission into, okay, leadership, community growth, actionable solutions, things that really build our community up instead of spending a lot of time just showcasing you what's wrong with our community.
0: Awesome. Can you globally reach everyone? I mean, it's
1: online. So globally, yes. Um, But my background and our background being in local media, we really understand the power of local um and if you you know you download our streaming network you immediately get this sense of oh this is kind of like ted talks meets netflix meets local news but one of the big game changers is it's 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 local people it's people you you know or you you've come in contact with or you actually have the opportunity to reach out and collaborate with or partner with or brainstorm with um and that's going to be the model moving forward for us like our goal is you know, nail it in Arizona, Arizona's ground zero, but then launch it in other markets similar to what we had in local TV news where you have an ST in San Diego or an ST in Las Vegas or ST in Chicago. And really keeping with that, that same, um, model of everything you see is local because what's going on in Chicago is different from what's going on in Phoenix, what's different than going on in Portland. Um, and so the solutions required, the people that are involved in these solutions, Um, are different in in every single market. So local is very important to us.
0: We know media can shape people, communities. So how can we be better with media to avoid misinformation and fake news? Uh, Yeah, I would
1: say media, think of media almost in the same way you would think of food and how you consume it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, Love that. So, you know, most traditional media... Mass media, I would say, falls similarly in line with fast food. You know, it serves a purpose. Um, It kind of fills you up when you maybe you need a quick fix, you need to feel informed. Um, But ultimately, too much of it is not a healthy diet. And, you know, now I'm thinking about some of the things that with social media um, that are so quick. I mean, it's like the fastest food possible because all you're doing is looking at a headline, forming an opinion with no context whatsoever, and I think that's that would be my suggestion for for anyone who you know <laughs> is is interested in in having a better media diet is find things that give you more context to a story or find things that allow you to really understand uh, the story as a whole, and you're not just Looking at a headline, forming an opinion, um, without really knowing the the true nature of that story, and there are so many different platforms nowadays, and I think it's good and bad, um, because you have the ability to get to get so spread out with your media consumption, um, that you're a little lost in what you know. You, I think you mentioned fake news and min- misinformation, um, but the more that you're able to find media sources that that really do spend quality time breaking down issues and are able to give you a complete picture, um, you'll feel better and you, you, you'll be able to grow better. You'll be able to have um, better conversations in your social circles rather than just saying, Oh, do you see what you see that that article in the news or do you see that headline? And then you've created this opinion about a story that you really don't know a whole lot about it. And exactly. you jump on social media and you're sharing things and opinions that You don't you don't know the real story, and I think that's another thing that I knew, or when I was in news, um, you know, we didn't spend much time breaking down context or really going deep into the issues of the stories we were covering. We had thirty seconds to tell this story, forty five seconds to tell that story, Um, and again, it's it's sort of like that fast food thing. It it works to a point, and then you really do need to find sources of of media that 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 allow you to to see the whole picture
0: do you ever think in time that the media leadership will i don't think we'll ever eliminate it but we will reduce all of that it bleeds it leads click clickbait media out there or it's just going to be that's the thing because people love drama
1: i think because media operates in the attention economy you know and the attention economy means I have to do whatever it takes to get as many eyeballs as I can so that I can sell advertising Um, until there are, you know, more organizations, you know, like ours, like STM, like other magazines and outlets that that are able to kind of move into this partnership economy model um, where it is more about the stories we're telling and these maybe the smaller audiences we're trying to. To reach, um, and less about how many people can re- reach. Um, that's where you'll see a, a little bit of a shift um, in media consumption and media production. But for the most part, kind of to answer your question, um, I don't think you'll ever see a war. You know, at least in the near term here, where there isn't uh, local news or local media in its current form, and we're seeing the decline of newspapers. Local TV is kind of following suit, but there's always going to be a need for it in the community. And there's always going to be sort of that drive in the attention economy to to keep your eyeballs on our product Um, so we can sell advertising. That's a model that works very well for many media companies. Um, So until that model stops working, um, I don't see a a major, major shift um, for media outlets.
0: You had used a language growing out of fear uh, in the past. And for our audience, because I like to talk about how to overcome fear, what is your interpretation? What is your philosophy of growing out of fear? Uh,
1: yeah. So, growing out of fear is for me, it's taking on challenges sometimes where I know I might not succeed. Or even us as a company, we might not succeed. But what we'll learn about ourselves, what I'll learn about myself, in that process will be so much more valuable to the overall journey, um, than actually succeeding on that, that one mission or one challenge we put in front of us. And I think, you know, once you start doing that or adopting that philosophy, it becomes easier to take on challenges and take on more risks and be uncomfortable. And I think we all know, right? Like we only grow when we're uncomfortable right and so if you don't have that that mindset of like all right what's about to happen is going to be uncomfortable this is a challenge this is a risk but putting myself in an uncomfortable position no matter what whether i succeed at the end of this or whether i fail i will have grown somewhere inside of me we will have i will have grown or if it's a company we will have grown and so i think you know growing out of fear is, is just that it's being able to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, knowing that it's really a win-win situation. You're going to say, Hey, if you succeed, great. If you fail, that's okay too, because you will have grown somehow, some way in the process.
0: Very good. Very good. I'm going to ask this next question about, uh, because it centers on pushing you off your comfort couch. You had mentioned something Lloyd, I think Hopkins had challenged you to write a book called run to your no. Are you going to do that in the future? No chance. Lloyd Lloyd's always,
1: he's Um, always making me do things. He's always wanting, he's always challenging me to yeah. Yeah. If there's a, I mean, you're an author, right? If there's a a ghost writer or some somebody that wants to sit next to me, and gotcha, I can just ar- articulate it, and they, yeah, maybe maybe that's
0: maybe that's the route
1: I'll go. But okay, nope, how nope. about
0: this then? What would you, if you were given a quick spiel on "Run to Your No," what would that be? Um, I think
1: you know, it's kind of summing up what we were just talking about is, and Lloyd likes to say it because you know when we first met each other we were talking about certain scenarios where, you know, oh, I don't want to contact that person or I don't want to approach that organization because I I don't know if he said it right, because they're going to say no. And that's where I kind of jumped in. I was like, well, that's, that's, that's what I get that out of the way first, you know, go, that's where you will get uncomfortable, where you will get uncomfortable with people telling you no. Um, And then you'll figure out how to get people to tell you yes. So it's one of those things where too many people, I think, um, they're so afraid of the no, they're so afraid of being uh, rejected or let down um, that they don't even take that chance. And I always say, like, be be self aware too. Like, you know, be self aware of what you're asking for. You know, don't just say, "Oh, I'm I'm, I'm going to take every shot I can." No, you know, make sure that you're you're calculated in some way of what you're asking for, what the challenge is, um, but don't be afraid of
0: it. What would your um, experienced self say to your younger self, if you could go back in time?
1: Read more. Um, I didn't start reading till I was after 30. <laughs> yeah, I was 31. I think when I, when I finished my first book and I, th- I think there's so much knowledge and wisdom out there. Um, I think, you know, in some of us in our early twenties or, you know, when we're early in our careers, we you know, maybe we we think we know it all. We think we're, we're so tunnel vision into ourselves and, and our career paths that maybe just taking in a little bit of knowledge from the outside can, can really help in that. And I, I think through, throughout my early career, I, I kind of tuned that stuff out. I wasn't really into what we're doing right now, which is, you know, you know, leadership development and personal growth. Um, I, I never was a, person who jumped into that. And then, you know, starting the company about 10 years ago, it was like, it was almost forced on you. Like, okay, <laughs> now you're in a new role and a new position and a new journey on, on a new path. So you've got to get this stuff down. And so I started reading and started consuming. And that would be one thing I was like, Oh, if there was a, there was something I'm going back in time and I meet the 21 year old version of myself. I would say, Hey, start reading things that are outside of outside of your scope of understanding.
0: I love that uh, because you try to talk to people like we're talking to people right now. You, you meet up with people through networking and you try to steer them to reading more. Hey, there's this author here that talks about personal legend. There's this author here that talks about, you know, self-awareness, et cetera, et cetera. And they are a lot of people amazingly and disappointingly are too cool for school. I call it, yep. just, you know, they don't have time. I know it all. I got it. And I'm like, well, why are you struggling then? Because you told me uh, you were struggling. So I, I just was keep too cool for to school stuff to help you be better. <laughs> yep,
1: exactly. And I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a too cool for school mentality. And, you know, I remember my wife at the time, she was, had books, you know, leadership books and different things on personal growth, and you know, I even I, I opened a couple of them up. I remember reading them, thinking this is just all common sense, and you know this this doesn't this doesn't resonate with me, and uh, yeah, I immediately dismissed it. And I think you know part of that is what you said: it's too cool for school. But then some of these books, podcasts, document whatever they are will meet you at the right time, you know, books will find you, and yes. you'll find that book. Um, and so I think that's it too. Timing's important. You know, timing is important. There are certain times in your life where you need this book or that book. Um, and you'll get better at that if you start that
0: process. Exactly. Exactly. Um, boy, I just had a thought in my mind that you have brought up. Oh, well, it just escaped me. It will come back in a second. So let me ask this question. What are additional thoughts and advice to share? You shared a lot about your life, a lot about STN, Social Television Network. Are there any, uh, in closing here, any other thoughts you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Um, Well, I think we talked, you know, we talked about trauma. We talked about fear. Um, And so I would would sort of say, you know, no matter who you are in life, no matter your age, race, gender, you're going to get knocked out. (laughs) you're good. At some point you're going to get your butt kicked. Um, and it could be multiple times. So understand that, you know, there's, there's so much value in sitting with it sometimes. Um, you know, some people want to ignore that emotion of sadness or anxiety or depression. Um, But once you're able to, and again, this goes back to just being comfortable, being uncomfortable, um, you'll be able to process your emotions in a way that aren't hiding from what's really going on. And that helps you with self-awareness. It helps you with relationships. It helps you with growth. um, And it'll help you get back up faster. It'll help you pick yourself back up faster. So, you know, with again, back to you're always going to get knocked down, You know, there are things in life that may knock you down early and you're down there for a while. You talked about storms earlier, like it may be, oh boy, this this storm is is lasting months or it's lasting years. And well, maybe it's because you're not in the mindset yet to be able to weather that storm faster um, or your emotions faster or properly. And so, you know, once you're able to do that, those storms just become much smaller (laughs) and much shorter. And you're able to really focus on the things that you want to focus on and knowing that you're going to get knocked down again, but you'll be able to pick yourself up that much faster.
0: I appreciate your words and love your words. Getting back to a few things now that it's come back to me. uh, You had mentioned people grab materials and they think, oh, this is common sense, but here's Mm -hmm. the big rub. Common sense is not common practice
1: hmm Absolutely. And that's, that's it
0: right there. We know we shouldn't be smoking because it's bad for our health or gambling because we don't have any money or drinking because too much of it is too bad, but we do it anyways. And then there's consequences with that. So having that common sense to say there's limits is, is okay.
1: And having concepts thrown at you that, yes, you're familiar with, um, but then they become top of mind. And so when you're going through You know, your day to day, whatever it is, you know, job, family, and you have some of the things that you just consume top of mind, it does allow you to be in a better position to see opportunities or again, back to growth, um, be able to apply some of that stuff in real time where yeah, if you read a book five years ago, um, it might not be top of mind. You may have you may have had some of it stick with you. But if you're consistently feeding yourself again, just, you know, this is cliche to say, or common to say, you know, mental strength and mental health is very similar to going to the gym. Like if you're not going to the gym, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose some of that stuff. And if you're feeding yourself brain food consistently, um, you're going to be much stronger. So it is a, it is a matter of, you know, are you doing it consistently and then you'll be able to use it on a
0: day-to-day basis. Exactly. You talked about positivity earlier, and you're correct. What you surround yourself with, keeping the forefront, that's what you pay attention to. So if you wake up in the morning and you're hitting the news and they are talking about murders overnight, hitting runs, this bad happened, that bad happened, that's sitting your tone for the day. So surrounding yourself, audience, with positivity in the morning, especially the first 20 minutes, is extremely important because it sets the tone. Some of the things I do, and I'm sure you probably do some similar practices is I get up and I go right to YouTube and find like a, a positive message, an inspirational <laughs> message. Um, and then I just fill my brain up with all that. Then I get a power smoothie, fill my body up. And now I got a good tone flowing and going here and I'm, out, I'm ready for the day. And then you mentioned rejections and failures, a philosophy that I practice uh, when I get rejected for a relationship or a job offer. I just said, OK, that's just getting me to my better job, my better relationship. And I just keep moving on and don't take it personally. So, uh,
1: yeah, I think there's a balance between, you know, being positive, but then also being able to discern things and self-awareness. But but look at those things from a point of optimism or positivity. You know, you're not trying to fool yourself into thinking, oh, I'm having a great day or (laughs) or this is an amazing situation. Um, but if you're primed at looking at it clearly from a point of positivity or from a point of optimism, um, you're not lying to yourself or you're not masking the situation, you're able to discern it accurately. Um, you're going to have a better outcome. Whereas if you approach it with stress and fear and anger, um, yeah, chances are the outcome is not going to be what you wanted. So I think there is this balance of, um, being positive, but also being able to really understand reality and discernment.
0: How can people contact the STN, the Social Television Network, for questions, a tour, or to explore opportunities?
1: First thing, if you just want to be a viewer, the app is available. The streaming network is available to download um, on the App Store or Google Play. That's a great kind of starting point for everyone. I kind of recommend that. There's a ton of content on there. Um, And again, most of it right now is, I mean, all of it is Arizona focused and Arizona based. So um, if you're an Arizona resident, um, you're going to find it highly valuable. If you are a business or a brand in Arizona and, you know, you're looking to do something um, with your leadership teams or with your employees that um, really give back to the community or really tell the story about your community impact, um, that's where we would set up a tour for someone to come down. Um, check out one of the shows, check out the studio, and then really talk about what you're doing and what your impact is in the community. And then maybe how what you're doing can can really help some of these other organizations that are dedicated to the same effort.
0: And I love your app. I, I I've been on there and you have a lot of things, like you said, a lot of content already on mm-hmm. there. One of them is called uh, fortunate failures. Yes. And I went through that and there were some really good, uh, all of them were great Uh, lessons learned. I call
1: it. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking about this um, whole time, you know, you're down, but sometimes when you look back in time, what was probably at the time, the worst moment in your life, sometimes end up ends up being the best moment in your life or the turning point in your life. And that's kind of what fortunate failures is all about is, you know, having local leaders reflect on their journeys and, and go, wow, that moment at the time was awful, but I grew out of it. And if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I was today.
0: There you go. Now, is your website up, I believe, or you're getting an enhancement to it? Or Yeah,
1: we're really excited. So the new website launches um, early September. And I think if you go to our website now, stntv.com, it doesn't look like a, a, a media site. It doesn't look like the traditional local media site. You would expect to see COVID and the pandemic really kind of delayed our plans there, but we're We're back uh, up and running and we're excited. And so starting in September, the website experience will look more like what you find on the app. Um, But again, with more context, uh, written articles um, of all the great things that our leaders and our community growth organizations are doing in our community, and then opportunities for others to get involved as well.
0: So the website experience launches in September. This is Eric Sperling, the Managing Director for Social Television Network. Thank you so much for the conversation, your time, and the knowledge you share with the audience. You have a great rest of your day. Hang on, though. I would love to uh, talk to you offline, okay?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it.
0: You are welcome.